Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Here's Canerco on the pitch to PK. Swinging along with a left. It's going to go. It's a slam. Sox lead. 6-4. Light it up. And a long one. Left center field. Wise on the run. He's at the track. He's at the fence. Leaps. Makes the catch. Yes. He took away a home run. Wow. What a play. The 2-1 to Bartlett. Swing shot to short. Ramirez has it. Throws. Burley picks the perfect game. His second no hitter. He now hits the Tampa Bay Rays. People are going crazy here at USLA. The pitch. A swing and a long one to right. We got a new ball game. If this ball goes over the fence, Garcia jumps. Did he get it? He got it. He caught the ball in the Oriole bullpen. He went over the fence and took away a home run from Davis. I thought it was in the bullpen. He went over the fence and right and brought it back. What a play by Garcia and Wright. Now it's up to Gordon Beckham to bat. Lead things off for the Sox here in the 11th and see if he can do some damage. Pitch to Gordon. A high fly to left. Is it well? Going back to the track. Along the fence, jumps, home run! Sox win! Sox win on a back of home run! He starts the tremendous double play to end the threat for Texas and first pitch swinging. It's gone! Beckham's first game-ending homer. Aces loaded, two outs. We got ourselves a 2-2 ball game. Castillo at home plate. Swing line drive, right center field, get down ball. The Shields comes in, dives, can't get it. One run in, Abreu scores. Another run across Del Monaco to third Davidson. And the White Sox lead, and they lead by a deuce at 4-2. to two. The weights in the 2-1 to Danny. Swing it a high fly, deep right center field. This is going to go to the bleachers. It's a three-run bomb to right. And the White Sox lead 6-3 to three on the home run by Daniel Polka. Light it up. 2-0 New York. Swinging a long one, left center field, this hit a ton. Angle at the track, at the fence, leaps at the fence, and he caught it, he pulled it back. The runners tag, and one at second, going for third, he'll make that. 
And back to first. Oh, what a play. Hang a star on that one by Engel. He took away a three-run homer. And the pitch swung on high, deep to left. Got a chance. To the track. It's gone. Game-winning home run. Light it up. Sox win. 12-11. What happened there, Darren? One of the guys came out with a Gatorade jug. Went to throw it on him. He threw it on himself. That is Yolmer at his best. And what a finish by the White Sox. Nova after a look at second deals. And that's a ground ball third. Could be three. To second for one on the first. Triple play. They turn the triple play. It goes five, four, three on a triple play. He did get the double play. But he also got a bonus with a one a third. How about that? Sox win. Sox win. Sox win. Turn on the fireworks. That was the voice of Ed Farmer calling some of the biggest moments in Chicago White Sox franchise history. Working in the radio broadcast booth for three decades, Farmer's voice has resonated with multiple generations of White Sox fans. On Wednesday night, April 1st, 2020, Ed Farmer passed away at the age of 70. Farmer broadcasted one White Sox spring training game this year before having to return home in Calabasas, California for health reasons. He was working on his way to calling his 29th season of White Sox baseball. Farmer worked with John Rooney from 1992 to 2005. After Rooney left the White Sox, Farmer worked with Chris Singleton for the 2006 and 2007 seasons, Steve Stone in 2008, and since 2009, Darren Jackson has been his partner. Ed Farmer's playing career stretched from 1971 to 1983, pitching for the Phillies, the Indians, the Athletics, the Rangers, Tigers, Orioles, Brewers, and of course, the White Sox. Farmer pitched 624 innings in his career with his best season coming in 1980 with the Chicago White Sox. Farmer had a 2.6 war season, pitching 99.2 innings with a 3.34 ERA, and recorded 30 saves. His performance was good enough for his only all-star appearance in his career. After playing baseball, Farmer was a scout for the Baltimore Orioles from 1988 to 1990, in which the organization drafted Mike Messina. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic wrote a great story about how Farmer originally didn't like Messina, but after watching him pitch against USC, Farmer became convinced that the Orioles should select Messina with the 20th pick overall. That pick worked out really well for the Baltimore Orioles. Farmer was born in Evergreen Park, and he attended St. Rita High School. And if you recall listening to his broadcasts on Saturdays or on Sundays, he loved Notre Dame football. The reaction from the White Sox includes Chairman Jerry Reinsdorf, who released the following statement. Ed Farmer was the radio voice of the Chicago White Sox for three decades. He called no hitters, perfect games, and of course, a World Series championship. His experience as a major league all-star pitcher, his wry sense of clubhouse humor, his love of baseball, and his passion for the White Sox combined to make White Sox radio broadcast a sound of summer for millions of fans. Ed grew up a Sox fan on the south side of Chicago, and his allegiance showed every single night on the radio as he welcomed his friends to the broadcast. I am truly devastated by the loss of my friend. After his kidney transplant in 1991, Ed Farmer, outside of baseball, was a well-known advocate for organ donation. He worked closely with Illinois Secretary of State Jesse White on the state's program. He released this statement. 
Quote, we have lost an extraordinary person with the passing of Chicago White Sox radio announcer Ed Farmer, and I have lost a dear friend. I was proud to partner with Ed on organ tissue donation awareness and saw firsthand his passion and commitment to this life-saving program. As a kidney recipient, he dedicated himself to giving back to the program that extended his life for nearly 30 years. Ed and I worked together to bring White Sox players to the James R. Thompson Center in Chicago, where they signed autographs, educated the public, and most importantly registered people for the state's organ tissue donor program. Ed was a hero. My deepest sympathy to the Farmer family, his White Sox family, and Ed's many friends and fans. Finally, his broadcast partner for 12 seasons, Darren Jackson, released this statement. Quote, my heart is broken, but my mind is at peace knowing my dear friend is no longer suffering. Ed was a competitor who also was everyone's best friend. I saw firsthand how hard Ed fought each and every day, season after season, to keep himself healthy and prepare to broadcast White Sox baseball. I first got to know Ed during my time in Chicago as a player, and I am honored to have been his friend and radio partner. My heart goes out to his wife, Barbara, and his daughter, Chandra, the only people he loved more than the White Sox in his hometown of Chicago. Helping us remember Ed Farmer as a diehard White Sox fan and maybe the best historian I know about the team, you could listen to him on the radio at 780 AM and 105.9 FM WBBM News Radio. It's Rob Hart. And hello, Rob. Thanks for coming back on the show. 2020 was supposed to be an exciting, perhaps special year for White Sox fans, but with the season delayed because of coronavirus, that was already too much to handle for some fans. But now the passing of Ed Farmer is very sad, heartbreaking news. You were a kid growing up on the south side of Chicago listening to Ed Farmer call games on the radio. What were your feelings after hearing the news of his passing? Well, I mean, this this has just been a, a, a devastating day on top of what has been a devastating year so far. Um, I mean, I guess my first thought is uh, if... You know, depending on your belief in 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 what's happening in the afterlife, uh, if the White Sox do end up playing baseball in 2020, uh, they will have a very powerful advocate uh, in in some other uh, plane of existence. So I hope Ed Farmer, uh, Catholic, uh, went to Notre Dame, uh, big fan of Notre Dame, uh, has some pull with match stairs uh, when baseball does start once again. But I I just you know it's. It, it, it was shocking. I mean, he was, you know, he was, you know, his voice uh, was a part of summer afternoons and a part of summer evenings uh, for since the early 1990s. And uh, if if you are a, a listener to the Sox Machine podcast or somebody who looks at the at the at the website on a daily basis, he has been the voice of White Sox baseball on the radio pretty much your entire life. And that's. Following up to my next question, you know, the White Sox have quite the broadcasting legacy throughout the 100-plus years of the franchise existence. Where does Ed Farmer fit within that White Sox broadcasting legacy? Well, I mean, it's certainly in terms of longevity. I mean, he is up there with, with Bob Elson. And even in the case of Bob Elson, you know, he started doing White Sox games on the radio in 1929 and continued doing that until 1970. And over the course of Bob Elson's career, 
White Sox games on the radio certainly evolved um, into something approximating what we experience now. Uh, so Bob Elson's tenure, you know, kind of tracked the evolution of radio as a form of communication. But uh, when Ed Farmer came into White Sox broadcasting beginning in the early 1990s, you know, the, the format of, of, of baseball on the radio was pretty much locked into place, and it has continued pretty much in the same way since then. So I would say you know, Ed Farmer is on uh, the Mount Rushmore of, of White Sox broadcasters. And that also includes uh, Harry Carey, who, of course, did it from 1972 to 1981. Uh, also includes Joe McConnell, uh, who was part of the uh, broadcasting team uh, in the late 70s and early 80s. And definitely you have to include John Rooney. I mean, for those of us who have been uh, watching the uh, rebroadcast of the 2005 season, um, yeah, you have Hawk and DJ doing the, the games on TV, what was then Comcast Sportsnet. But, you know, the, the musical accompaniment, as it were, the audio accompaniment, the 2005 baseball season, was John Rooney and Ed Farmer. And if you, you know, watch highlights from that year or listen to highlights from that year, I mean, one of the iconic uh, Ed Farmer calls that you hear from 2005 where he's saying, this place is electric. Uh, was from June of that year when uh, A.J. Pruszynski hit an off, uh, walk-off home run against the Dodgers. And uh, so his his voice is certainly a part of some iconic moments in White Sox history. And he, he had a privilege uh, that uh, a lot of other White Sox broadcasters did not. Uh, they did not call a World Series. They did not call a no-hitter. Or if they did, it was from, from the other team. Uh, so, you know, Farmio was was there for a lot of great moments in White Sox history, and they just happened to be in the last 30 years. Yeah, when it comes back to 2005, I was sitting in dorm room in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, listening to John Rooney and Ed Farmer call the games back when they were streaming the audio, and that was a big deal for MLB.com when they were able to stream the radio broadcasts of games. And that's kind of lasting impact that Ed Farmer has for me as a White Sox fan, Rob, is just remembering the greatest moments in franchise history being called by Ed Farmer. What's Ed Farmer's lasting impact on you as a White Sox fan and someone that does work in radio in Chicago? Well, I think there's, there's just, there's the, there's the companionship aspect. I mean, there was just the, um, well, you know, we're, we're, I got to run errands. It's a summer night. I'm going to turn the radio on and listen to Ed Farmer call the White Sox game. Or, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed um, you know, back when we had traffic, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, I worked Saturday and Sunday mornings at the radio station. And, you know, when, when we still had a civilization, Josh, uh, there was bad traffic on the Kennedy from downtown to my home in the Northwest suburbs. So you'd be in the car for an hour on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon, sun's out, nice out, uh, you know, concrete jungles, uh, 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 the smell of exhaust everywhere. And it was nice to roll down the, the window and, and listen to some White Sox baseball on the radio, even if they were bad. I mean, it was just nice to have that uh, companionship, as, companionship aspect there. And then as a professional, as a, as a, um, I had the opportunity to uh, uh, talk to Ed Farmer a couple of times. Uh, I, I hosted White Sox Weekly on WLS a, a, a couple of, yeah, two or three times uh, back in the winter of, uh, of 2015. And uh, the first guest we had out of the shoot when they moved from the score to, to 890 was Ed Farmer. And uh, 
for whatever reason, um, uh, the White Sox broadcast operations crew said, well, before we do the show on Saturday, uh, Paul added his home in California, and you guys can just develop a rapport. And so we, we kind of chatted, and it was really weird. It's like, you know, Ed Farmer, White Sox voice on the radio, like talking to you on the phone, having a conversation. And it was extremely pleasant. And the one thing I remember was, uh, you know, they just moved to WLS. And, of course, you know, LS had this legacy uh, for baby boomers in Chicago as this home of, of rock and roll and pop music. So the, the conversation quickly segued to his memories of growing up on the South Side and listening to uh, Dick Biondi play rock and roll on, on LS in, in the early 1960s, which is an experience that everybody of that age group had. So that was really cool and a lot of fun. And he was <laughs> the one it was he delivered it in the total Ed Farmer cadence, too, where he said, yeah, WLS, 50,000 watts, big here in California, <laughs> which I thought was a lot of fun. So it was my my <laughs> one Farmio story uh, was talking about um, about about WLS with him uh, when we were doing a couple of, of White Sox segments over there. So. I mean, I, I treasure that moment, and uh, I'm I'm really going to miss him on the radio, and uh, it's 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 a real it's a, it's like I said before, it's it's a sad day, and what's turned out an extraordinarily sad year. You can follow Rob on Twitter. He's at Rob Hart WBBM, and you can listen to Rob share the news on 780 AM and 105.9 FM WBBM on the local dial or on radio.com. And hopefully for Rob, for your sake, things calm down on the news front. I know you've been covering the coronavirus impact on Chicago a great deal. But as always, thanks, Rob, for coming back on the show. Yeah, thank you, Josh. And, and let's all, when this ends, when the coronavirus uh, situation ends, we find a vaccine, we find therapies, we find ways to test. Let's all like make a solemn pledge to not make any news or cause any trouble for the rest of the 2020s. Uh, our, we, we've, we've reached our fill already, and we're three months into the new decade. I, I 100% agree with you, Rob. And I can't wait to catch another game with you at the stadium when we can actually attend as fans. I agree. Our next guest knew Ed Farmer well, working with him during the White Sox radio broadcasts. He's the operations manager of WGN Radio Sports Network and executive producer of Chicago White Sox Baseball. It's Dave Zaslowski. And Dave, thank you for taking the time to join the Sox Machine podcast. Oh, no problem. Glad to do it. The common theme I'm reading from reactions across baseball, especially on Twitter, learning about Ed Farmer's death, is that he wasn't just a colleague to many. To many, he was their friend. Uh, on Twitter, you wrote, RIP, my friend, thank you for everything. What did Ed Farmer mean to you? I mean, he, he, he was like a family member to me. Uh, I, I worked with him for the last four years. And from the first day of walking into the booth and meeting him, it was like we've known each other. He treated me no different than, than had I grown up with him and gone to St. Rita with him. And it, it, it was just welcoming. And everybody, everybody was a family member to him. And he was just uh, he was just a joy to be around, you know, and he made you feel welcome. And believe me, there were nights 
<laughs> there were nights when that booth was like Grand Central Station, um, and everybody was welcome, regardless of the do not enter sign that was on the opposite side of that door. Every, everybody was welcome up there, and he made you feel like you were special the moment you walked in that door. What was it like working with Ed and preparing for game broadcasts? Well, you know, he he knew everything. And, and, and I'm sure, you know, part of it, he, he was in a different situation than a lot of play-by-play guys. There are not a ton of play-by-play guys out there who are former players. So I think his prep was a little different than some other play-by-play guys. You know, he, he knew what to expect when he sat down in that chair. Um, but he knew the players. He knew what to expect. And my my prepping with him was not so much things that were going to take place in the broadcast game-wise. My prepping with, with Ed was more of the things around the broadcast. Uh, you know, sponsorship reads, making sure that gets done. Um, hey, we've got this client coming in tonight and this inning to say hi. Um, you know, I, I, and in other times in my career in producing games, it, prepping the play-by-play guy was much different. But with Ed, you didn't have to worry about that because he knew the game. He knew what to expect. He knew what the starting pitcher what he was throwing. He knew what the hitters were going to be looking for. So things like that, you didn't have to worry about prepping with that. He knew it. It was second nature to him. You know, Ed was a kid from the South side, like many that are listening right now. And I, I think that was what made White Sox radio broadcasts unique is that he is from the area that White Sox fans are also from and listening to the broadcasts where a lot of national play-by-play guys, or even local play-by-play guys, they, they come from all over the country and then they have to learn as far as that fan culture. Is that, is that, do you think that's what separated Ed Farmer from the rest is that he was from the South side of Chicago and he understood not only what does it be to be a White Sox player, being an ex player, uh, but also being a White Sox fan growing up. Josh, I'll tell you, he he was a family member to every person who sat down in that stadium. He was the South Side, and you know it's it's a it's a unique fan base that attends White Sox games, and they're extremely loyal. Not not that other fan bases are not loyal, but it's an extreme loyalty that White Sox fans have. And Ed Farmer is like the leader of that fan base. They knew he was from the South Side. And anybody that has ever listened to a White Sox game has heard the story of when Ed's mom took little six-year-old Eddie Farmer to his first White Sox game at Comiskey Park, and they walked in the door, and he saw that green field for the first time and thought, oh, my gosh, Mom, there's a baseball field in this building. I'm going to come back and play here one day. And and to him, 
to be a part of that organization and be as big of a part on the south side. And if somebody if somebody came in that booth or if he saw somebody in the lobby when he walked in the building on his way to the elevator, he'd stop and say, where are you from? Where'd you go to school? He would know what street the school was on, a, a random elementary school. He would know exactly what street it was from. And he he just was the South Side. And I think White Sox fans knew that and felt that much differently than other play-by-play guys, like you said. Some of the greatest moments in White Sox history are voiced by Ed Farmer. You know, the 2005 World Series, Mark Burley's perfect game are a couple examples. What do you think Ed Farmer's lasting legacy is to the White Sox franchise, Dave? <sighs> I would have to say it's just like the the big moments that have happened of, in recent White Sox history, uh, and and you named it. You know, you you named the the World Series, the Burley Perfect Game, the Philip Umber Perfect Game. Um, you know, uh, Jose Abreu's one thousandth base hit. Uh, some of these guys like. Tim Anderson and Moncada and some of the great things that they've started to do and people hearing that. And that's what they're going to remember about Ed Farmer and looking upstairs when they've been at the ball game and seeing him wave to everybody. And when a foul ball, and there's been many that have come blistering into that booth and he'll turn around and he'll just drop it out the window to somebody. Or he'll he'll sign it and drop it out the window to somebody, or he'll he'll see somebody sitting in the stands and he'll say to me, you know, hey, grab grab one of those T-shirts out of the cabinet. Let's get it down to that. Let's get it down to that that little guy sitting down there. And you know, he'll point he'll point to somebody sitting down in one of the sections below the booth and get a shirt to somebody. Those are the things that that people will remember about. Ed Farmer. It was very a very unique, very unique person, and White Sox fans will remember that uniqueness. Do you have a favorite Ed Farmer story that you like to share when people ask who is Ed Farmer? Well, uh, I <laughs> I think you know I I, I think uh, th- there's actually two quick ones that you know I, I mentioned earlier about. All the people, like it was just an open door policy up in the booth. And he went golfing one day, which he used to do a lot. Big golfer. And he ran into the Stanford men's golf team one day. And all of a sudden, one night, door opens up, middle of the game, in walks the entire Stanford golf team. (laughs) <laughs> he's like guys come on up <laughs> and so the entire team and I, it's not a very big room you know it's about the size of a walk-in closet right. the, the area where people could stand and here's the entire stanford men's golf team standing in the booth because ed ed ran into him on you know the the ninth fairway and said hey guys come on up tonight if you're coming to the game let me know call me when you get there <laughs> That's great. And he, and he brings them on. <laughs> and, and and another thing, like Ed 
you know, where where we have to park at the ballpark is across the street and a kitty corner from behind home plate. Well, Ed knows that we leave later than everybody else. And Ed arranged for Andy Mazer and I to park in the parking lot right up against the building because he didn't want us leaving so late and, you know, taking a chance because there's nobody around. Like when we get out of there sometimes, you know, there, there's, there, there's guys with brooms in the parking lot cleaning up. And, you know, he didn't have to do something like that, but he set it up with us. So we're able to do that and, and not have to worry. And our families, you know, know that we're safe when we're leaving the ballpark. It's just the thoughtfulness that he would do. He, he would come in early on Sunday mornings and bring breakfast for the guys who run the parking lot. Really? People don't know that, but he'd stop at a bakery. He'd stop at McDonald's. He'd stop at Taco Bell and just bring in this boatload of breakfast sandwiches or pastries and feed the guys in the parking lot. That's a terrific gesture. Always, always, always thinking of other people. The number of times he'd have one of us go into the file cabinet and grab a baseball where he'd have a box of Tim Raines autographed baseballs or when Jim Palmer, who, uh, you know, calls the games for the Orioles, Jim Palmer would come in before the games and Ed would have him sign a box of baseballs. Some Somebody would come in, he'd toss a Jim Palmer autographed baseball to somebody. It's just little things like that, that where he always thought about other people before thinking about himself. Always. Well, you could follow Dave on Twitter. He's at Dave's ass. And Dave, a couple of things. One, I know that you have a very difficult task. White Sox radio broadcast won't be the same. Again, Ed's been calling games since 1992 and my fandom of the White Sox begins right then and there. Uh, so not having Ed Farmer on the radio broadcast is going to be a very strange feeling moving forward. Uh, but the second part, I, I hope that you are going to be busy soon producing White Sox radio broadcast because it'd be great to have baseball back in our lives. But I know that first game back won't be the same without Ed Farmer. And I greatly appreciate you taking the time to come on our show and sharing the stories and your experiences with Ed Farmer. And we are sorry for the loss of your dear friend. I appreciate that, Josh, and uh, thank you for uh, letting me come on and tell a few stories. There's only about five million other stories out there of of, <laughs> of Ed Farmer, but uh, I appreciate you uh, letting me share a few. Hi, everybody. Jim Margulis here, and coming up is a voice that will be very familiar to White Sox fans. He's currently an afternoon host on ESPN 101.1 in St. Louis, but before then, he was the White Sox pregame and postgame host on 670 The Score, He's Chris Ranji, and he's joining us now on the Sox Machine Podcast. Chris Ranji, thanks for joining us on the Sox Machine Podcast. Uh, before we start talking about uh, Ed Farmer, I, you know, we haven't heard from you in a couple of years. Most White Sox fans haven't, unless they follow you on Twitter. So just wanted to kind of ask just how things are going in St. Louis and how things are going in general with the uh, national crisis going on. Well, I think everything here is going about the same as it is uh, just about everywhere else. Um you know, I'm, the the city. I, I live in the city of St. Louis, mm -hmm. so I'm in the limit. It's the the St. Louis County, which is the suburb, 
And from what I understand, Kansas City and some of the other um, uh, uh, larger towns in the state are doing as well as they can possibly do and handling all of this, but they haven't gotten much direction from the state. Mm-hmm. So I guess we're all, we're all just kind of waiting for that to happen. But, you know, it's not yet as bad as it was or is in New York or in California or, or Washington or Chicago even. So we're – we're lucky there, but we're just kind of hoping it doesn't get to that point. Yeah, it's uh, just when I when I saw the news this morning about Ed Farmer, it just felt very. It, yeah. It felt like it was still March 2020. Maybe it just it's going to feel like March forever based on just how it's unfolding. But when you heard about the news, what was your reaction? Like, did you have any knowledge of it? I mean, we all kind of knew he wasn't doing great based on him leaving spring training, but just curious whether it was a surprise or a shock or or how it hit you. Well, I didn't know that he wasn't feeling well and he's dealt with health issues as long as I've known him. And before I was even in the picture, he, he had his stuff. He had the polycystic kidney disease and, you know, the uh, complications that come with that. So he was very much on top of his health. And I knew that he was very conscious of it and aware and, and, and always trying to be on top of it. But I did not know. I actually did not know that lately it had been, um, you know, some things had had popped up for him. I wasn't aware of that. I didn't know that he had left spring training. Mm. And I I actually had gotten a text message yesterday from somebody who, you know, in the organization that had heard from somebody else, and they contacted me, and they were like, look, um, this is happening, and it's probably going to be a couple of days, and I wanted you to know. I thought you should know. And so – I think within a few hours it it actually happened. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I found out about midnight last night, and I think he he probably passed uh, um, like an hour or two before that, maybe. But I, I didn't see it coming like that, and and you know, he did everything he could mm-hmm. to stay on top of his health. So I wasn't I didn't think anything was imminent with him. Mm. I wasn't expecting that, and um, it it's obvious sad for me it's not you know I, i'm sure it's much worse for dj who's still been with him for the last several years and mm-hmm. traveling with him and you know rides to and from the hotel together and you know they were together way way more than i ever was with them so i know dj is going through it right now but um it's it's sad and it and i think i mean one of the saddest things for me is and, and I, I talked to, uh, you know, Bernstein and McKnight on their show on the score um, earlier in the day. And I, I, I told them that it was probably two months ago, for whatever reason, Farmio popped in my head. And I was in the middle of something and I thought of him and I, and I thought, I need to give him a call. I just, I, I haven't talked to him in a while. I should give him a call. And then I didn't, I got sidetracked and you know, that was, that was it. And yeah. it, it's just, it's just one of those, I, we constantly get those reminders that if you think of somebody, you need to contact them because you never know. Mm-hmm. And you always make the mental notes to do that in the future. And like, yeah, I'll, I'll get a hold of people, but then you don't do it. And then you regret it. And that's kind of where I am right now. And I, I had absolutely expected to catch a Sox game this summer Mm-hmm. you know, to catch up with him and, and to go see DJ too. And, and, and Zerang and 
obviously that wasn't going to happen. Be what, what what else is going on, and then this happened last night. So it's just there's a lot happening. Like for everybody else, there's just a lot going on, and it's just feels it feels like eternal sadness. Like it's not going to go away. It's just uh, this is a brutal time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, reading through all the memories and reading through, you know, whether it's media, players, uh, you know, partners, et cetera, that um, seemed like he was an expert at immediate friendship, just making you feel welcome, making you feel like that uh, you'd known him forever. What was the, I guess, trajectory of your relationship with him like? For me, when so I met him for the first time in the middle of the 05 season when the score got the contract, you know, we found out, I don't remember exactly what month, but the, the season was going on. And that's when we found out we were going to be carrying the games in 06. And it's at some point he came by the studio and I met him then. And I, I found him to be kind of uh, because he was a tall dude. And again, he had his health problems. So he wasn't, and he probably wasn't as big as he used to be, mm-hmm. um, but you could just kind of tell that he had been a big dude, right? Like he's just an imposing figure. And so I thought he was kind of intimidating first met him. And then he's got a very dry delivery mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't know, unless you know him, you don't know exactly where he's coming from. Um, but he was a very kind person. And I, I didn't, honestly, I didn't know for like the first year if he liked me or not, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. And, and I, I thought he did, but I wasn't exactly sure. And then the more I got to be around him and the more I realized that his, his dry delivery and that wit, it's just how he talks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you pick up in his face, you pick up how he feels, you know, you can, he's one of those where you could read his face and you could know. And after I got to know his expressions, I understood that he liked me and um, then it was, it was a whole lot better. And then, and then after that, I, I grew to really, I love that. Dude. I, I really did. And he was so kind and so nice. And he always wanted to make people feel comfortable. And he just, he never, um, it was something I was talking about with people earlier today. He never, whoever he was in your presence, like that's just who he was. Hmm. And he wouldn't have a problem being honest with you. And I don't, it was never, it was never cruel or anything or never malicious. It was just honesty. It was never, and I, I told this story now multiple times. I don't even know if it's a story, but it's a, you know, just about him and his personality. You know how, like when you, you or anybody else, you're in a room and somebody walks in and there's a person in the room that doesn't like that person. And then that person leaves the room, you know, the person says something like, ah, I can't stand that guy or, mm-hmm. you know, that, that guy sucks or makes some comment about yeah. him. He never did anything like that. Hmm. You know, he just, what he thought of you, he pretty much told you up front. And, you know, all the times I was in the broadcast booth and a visitor would come in and talk to him and then leave he never said that guy's a piece of work. You know, that guy sucks. He never did anything like that. So I, I found his I found his personality to just be incredibly genuine. He just he was Farmio was Farmio and pretty much all the time. You mentioned that dry delivery and, and um just 
how he was, you know, how he had basically one setting. And it reminded me of one of my colleagues um, who's a baseball fan but not affiliated with any team was listening to a White Sox broadcast, first time of listening. And he found the chemistry between Farmer and DJ so bizarre, not not in a bad way, just unusual for a broadcast booth, almost like an anti-chemistry based on the way their disparate personalities bounced off each other. Uh, you know, Farmer with the dry delivery, DJ being a bit goofy and, and neither of them really connecting. And it seemed like intentionally not connecting, like just being the odd couple playing it up. And uh, when you read about, uh, you know, when you hear DJ's reaction, like he, he spoke on a media conference call and you could just hear his emotion pouring through and you could hear the genuine affection from them from time to time, especially if you listen for them for a while. But if you're just dropping in, you might not have understood what these guys were about. And I was curious, like given that you rode along with them for, was it seven years or so? Um, 10, it was 10 for me. 10. Okay. Um uh, uh, yeah, so it and it, it's it's funny you say that because I made a point today multiple times in, in talking to people to reiterate this because one of the things I used to hear a lot and you suck was um, <laughs> you listening to the broadcast. You could people used to say this to me all the time. Oh, you can tell that Ed can't stand DJ or DJ can't stand Ed. And I would always tell them no. Like I would correct them every time and say, listen to me, whether it was on the air or text or tweet or Facebook or whatever. I would tell people, no, listen to what I'm telling you. They really like each other a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I see them. I see them interact. I know how they are with one another. I know what Farmio's dry wit is like and DJ's goofiness and I see the looks they give each other and the looks they used to give each other was a it was adoration it was like they they admired one another it was not a I can't believe I got to work with this freaking guy that's not what it was and and nobody believed me when I would tell them that they would always say no you're just saying that and and I no I'm not trust me on this when I tell you they like each other do and i could understand if you're listening and you don't listen forever how it could um you know it could come across like one resented the other because of that but i'm telling that it's 100 percent they they and i would i would bet everything on it i mean that's 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 how confident i am mm-hmm. um that, that those two guys really truly liked each other. And I didn't get to hear that conference call today with DJ and I haven't had a chance to speak with him either, but I know, I know he's broken up about it. I mean, I've, I've heard from other people that he is, um, he's taking it very hard and I understand why, because those two had, had real actual love for one another. And I loved being in the booth with them. And I, I usually sat in my own uh, booth for I was lucky enough they had a room that was never used uh, so I was in there and I would not stay in there all the time sometimes I'd, I'd walk a couple doors down and go hang out with that and DJ because I you know wanted to hang out with people mm-hmm. so I would watch them and interact with them and, and I just I loved being in that room with the two of them and it just it Basically, was two people who 
were giving each other hell all the time, like you would like you would with your friend. Yeah. You know, even off the air, the 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 you know the inning would be over, they'd be in commercial break, and the two of them are are crapping on one another in the friendliest, funniest way. That stuff was so so fun to watch and so fun to be around. Yeah, it seemed like two guys. You mentioned the honesty part, and it seemed like two guys who were either you know, both honest with each other and comfortable with themselves, comfortable to be themselves to where they didn't feel like they needed to contort their style to fit the other. Right. They yeah. didn't. Yeah. And, and actually, I think it kind of worked that way. You know, it kind of worked better that you've got this guy who's dry and here's the ball working alongside him. And you just, I, I, the broadcast would have been a hundred times better if, if it was on television and it's a split screen, and here's the action on one screen, and on the other smaller screen is Ed and DJ looking at each other and, and calling the game. Like, you, you could tell that they were enjoying one another. And DJ was, was comfortable, very comfortable being around Fabio, and Ed was comfortable around DJ, and neither one of them ever – made the other one feel like and and I can't speak for their other partnerships. I can't speak for Farmio and Rooney. I wasn't around that. I wasn't around for Hawk and DJ. Um at least to to see them work with one another. I didn't see that. So I don't know what that was like. I don't know what all those those situations and dynamics were, but it felt like when those two got together like there was a, a relief on both of their parts, and I shouldn't speak for them, mm-hmm. but that way it came across in in how each of them delivered, each and how each of them went about their broadcast. They just seemed relaxed. It was a very relaxed broadcast between the two of them. They just worked very well. They they liked each other so much and were comfortable so much with one another that the broadcast was relaxed. Whether or not that came out um, on the air for for the general public, I don't know, but I can tell you that's what was going on. Yeah, it was enlightening listening to my colleague talk about it because he uh, he said that he'd never heard a booth so comfortable disagreeing with each other. <laughs> Usually yeah. when they, they lead to a point, you say, uh, you know, what do you think? That, yes, I or yeah, and, and you know, you know, yes, and basically. And, and with this booth, yeah. it was no, or I don't think so, or this is what I saw. Right. And they were completely comfortable doing that. And once once I heard him say that, and I listened to, like on the ride home, I, I tuned into the game, and I think in a 15-minute drive, I heard them disagree with each other, uh, disagree with the setup five times. And I thought, that's <laughs> fascinating. But it was never it, it was never a, oh, my God, you know, he's stepping on my toes. Yeah. Screw this guy. It was never like that. It was just they just didn't agree, but it wasn't – it was never hateful. It was just honest. And it, it was – yeah, I, I I thought it was so good. I – it's it's not for everybody. I know everybody didn't like it, and maybe I only like it because I got to see it and not just hear it, and I knew both of them, so it was different. So maybe that's why I enjoyed it more than – and I can't speak for everybody else, but it was – I had a different experience with it being being there. So I I thought it was a fun broadcast just because I knew the two of them and – you know, when they were on the road and I was back in the studio listening to the game, watching it on TV, I would, I would listen to their call, but watch on, uh, you know, watch on TV. And there was a delay that mm-hmm. kind of sucked. But 
but I wanted to hear our broadcast most of the time. Sometimes I would just to kind of get a, another feel and see what they were talking about. But usually I was listening to, to our guys. So I knew what they were talking about and um, enjoyed it because I knew them. And, and I could tell in certain conversations, certain disagreements, I knew the look DJ was given Ed and the, and the look Ed was given back to him without seeing it. I knew, and I always thought it, it made me laugh. I thought it was, I thought it was enjoyable, probably because I knew them better. That's that's one of the I, I guess the, the fortunate side of, of this is that with with his passing, you hear a lot about stories that you never would have heard about otherwise. It's an occasion to you know share these stories and get to know somebody beyond what you thought you knew or what you thought you heard. And I'm curious whether you know when you think about Ed Farmer, just uh, you know in, in this time and hearing other people share stories. What's the story like? What's a, what's one of your great Ed Farmer stories? Um, I, okay. This isn't like, okay, this is so stupid. It's the silliest thing, but for whatever reason, it's a, it's a moment that I think about every now and then, uh, especially if it's cold and windy. There was one time and I, it was either 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. And this, and again, this, this Farmio story, it, um, it pops in my mind. Uh, every now and then like i mean it really does and it's probably the one thing that i think about the most and it's the dumbest thing in the world so it was either april or may it was early in the season so you know how the weather is there in Mm -hmm. chicago it's freaking cold and it sucks and it's windy and that those were the conditions and the ed used to make and he did it a lot during spring training games because you know who cares uh and he would like people make paper airplanes, he would, instead of an airplane, he would make like paper helicopter, like a propeller. Hmm. And he would take the paper and he would rip it down the middle and then he would fold it over and, you know, he would fold it a couple of different ways. And I, I never learned to do it and nobody, I'd never seen it done before. But what would happen is when you would drop it from, you know, up above, it float down to the seats, but it would spin like a helicopter. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it would, it would fly several rows or whatever. And he would do that all the time. And they would get, he'd get the biggest kick out of it because he would let it go out of the booth and then it would fly and it would float. And then it would land on somebody's head down in the seats. And that person would look up and look back like, you know, what the hell was that? Um, and we laugh because he, he knew he did that. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I always thought it was the funniest thing. Just one day, it was cold and it was windy, and the windows were closed. And I don't know who they were playing. It doesn't matter. Um, it's in the middle of the inning, and he's you know he's calling the game. And while he's calling the game, he's ripping up this piece of paper. And I know he's making a helicopter, mm-hmm. right? Like this is all while, while the game is going on. And uh, he opens up like his side of the window, just cracked open, and he dropped the helicopter, the propeller, out the window. And usually, like I said, it would float down to the seats. It would maybe land a section over or something. It was so windy, the wind took it. Like a gust came through, it picked it up, and it circulated from behind the plate. It went up to the right toward the first baseline 
It went up, and, and it got about as high as halfway up the upper deck. And this thing just kept flying, <laughs> and we're, we're, we're watching it, and everybody in the, in the booth is laughing hysterically, and Farmy turning off his mic so he can laugh at this because he didn't know where it was going, and it went all the way down the right field line. It went past first base. It circled out into the outfield, and then it circled back right around second base, and it fell right there in the dirt right by the second base, uh, right by the bag. And I don't know who the umpire was, but the umpire – and the, the is going on. Like this – the game is happening. Yeah. And the, um, the second base umpire, like, walked in from his position, like, picked it up off the dirt and, you know, crumpled it up and put it in his pocket. And Farmio is losing it in the booth. <laughs> Because he let this stupid piece of paper go. He thought it was going to hit somebody down below. And the thing, the thing wound up out by second base. And it, was, it, it may not sound that funny in me telling it to you. You probably really needed to see it. But it was Ed having a good time, screwing around while the game is going on because baseball's fun. And he was having a good time being up there. And he didn't, he didn't give a shit. He just, he's just letting it. He's having fun, and um, he didn't expect that to happen. But that he was doing stuff like that all the time. And the thing was, you could never tell that he was laughing. You couldn't tell that he was smiling because of the way he delivered. You just you had no idea. Yeah. But he was having fun. Then that's the thing I think I'll miss the most is how much fun I could tell he was having, even if it didn't always sound like he was having a great time. Well, uh, that's that sounds almost beautiful when you think about it. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, paper propeller yeah, soaring I, through I the air. I do think there are a lot of people. <laughs> right, like it's just here's this guy, and it's so stupid. But just imagine, like I mean, uh, that ballpark's pretty big. You know, it's a major league stadium, and that's that's really high up. And I don't know. I think the sight of it was was funnier than my description of it. Yeah. Because we were like we were looking at this piece of paper soaring out and wondering if people are looking at that, wondering what the hell it is. You know, what is that thing flying by? And it just it kept going and going and going and then it ended up in the field of play and you know, we were just we were losing it. It was so it was so amusing and it was just it was his personality. And I thought the you know, that's the thing that maybe got lost with a lot of people is people have their perception of, of him based on what they hear. And he just, he wasn't always like what people thought. And then that's, I think that's the best way I can put it is he was, he was having a hell of a time. He was really enjoying himself and both of them were. So, so on that note to, to wrap up, uh, if you can assume your old position of telling White Sox fans, uh, what you think and maybe what they should think when it comes to Ed Farmer and his his impact and legacy, his spot in White Sox lore, like, say, 20 years from now, what should they think? I think they should they should think that maybe while he didn't have the necessarily didn't have the relationship with the listeners as much as Hawk had with the viewers, it's very different. You know, it's not. I, I think baseball on the radio 40 years ago was much different than it is now. I mean, that was the thing. And, 
And television is now more the thing than anything. So there is a relationship between the viewers and Hawk. And maybe it doesn't seem like Ed was at that level with White Sox fans that, that Hawk was, but I was always astonished at the amount of people who knew him and whether it was a Sox fan or somebody from some other city popping into the broadcast booth and, you know, I'm, I'm like, how do you know all these people? Like, and all the people that would come in, open the door before the game, they would open up the door and pop in and say, Farmio, what's going on? And I'm like, how do you know? He knew everybody like he, and, and it was, you know, I didn't, I knew of him, obviously. I didn't grow up listening to White Sox games. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to a lot of Rooney and Farmer when I was in Chicago, but I was just, I was amazed at how many people knew who this guy was and how many people liked him and how many people would go out of their way to come see him. And I think he, he had more of an impact on people, uh, than you might think there were just so many people that, that he knew and to make feel comfortable and, um, you know, felt like they were his friend and he was there. He just, yeah, I, and I think he genuinely enjoyed that. He enjoyed knowing people and being around them. And it, anytime you would go in that booth, they finally, this is a thing before I, you know, and you got, you got to go. Um, a few years in, I learned very quickly that that broadcast booth was always going to be packed. And, and like I said, I would go down there to hang out, talk to him. But if you went in there in like the third inning and you opened up the door, there were probably 30 or 40 people in there. It was packed. Mm. And, and, I, and I got to a point where I would open the door, see that there was somebody right standing inside the door and I knew it was packed and I just shut the door and walk out and be like, okay, I'm not, I don't know what's going on in there, but I don't want to be in the circus. They finally got to a point where they would say no visitors after the fourth inning because there were so many, there were so many, they put a sign on the door that said no visitors after the fourth because so many people would come up there and like some of it was this, right? It was, it, but some of it, uh, was the station, was the score, the salespeople bringing up clients. You know, it's a perk. You you just want to uh, bring up a sponsor and, and have them come up and get to see the booth, and that happens everywhere. But it wasn't always that. A lot of times it was just people that, you know, Ed knew or had just met and said, you guys want to go to a ball game? And then he would have passes waiting for them downstairs, and he would call them up to the booth, and he did it all the time all the time. In fact, I would say there were fewer times that it didn't happen than, than it did. And I, I thought um, he was just so kind and he wanted to share it with everybody. And that was all totally genuine. Yeah. It's, these are the stories and, and, and things we're finding out about him that we might not have known. And so I'm, I'm happy you're able to take the time and join us to be able to share these things because, you know, it's, Pretty rough situation right now, so this is like the one, in my opinion, it's the one way we can make the most of it. Yeah, it, it, just talking about him, I, I don't think there's enough about him that people know, and um, I'm happy to do it. Um, I love that man, I, and I'm just, I'm happy that people are interested to, to hear more about him because he was, 
he was pretty good. He was really good. Well, thanks for your time, Chris. We really appreciate it. You got it, man. It's good to talk to you, Jim. I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad to hear you're doing well, too. We'll hopefully have uh, reasons to cross path again on the podcast. Just figure it out. Find a reason. <laughs> if you if you if people need to bitch about something, just call me. Great. <laughs> Perfect. Rejoined with Jim Margulis to end this podcast, remembering longtime White Sox radio play-by-play broadcaster Ed Farmer. And Jim, it's always tough doing these types of podcasts. It reminds me of the time when Minnie Minoso passed away. So many people have great things to say about Ed Farmer. And he's almost like legend status in the sense of on how everyone in baseball was a bit sad today hearing the news and just hearing the stories from like Ken Rosenthal and Peter Gammons and of course all the local Chicago media and former White Sox players and everyone that's gotten an opportunity to meet Ed Farmer. They have this fantastic story to share and we got to hear a few already on this podcast. But for you, Jim, being a lifelong White Sox fan and someone that enjoys the broadcast, but also at the same time grades broadcast as well. What is Ed Farmer's lasting legacy with the White Sox franchise? He was there basically my entire memory of White Sox radio broadcasts. If yeah, not quite. Yeah, I was listening to broadcasts like in the late 80s, but I don't really remember the tenor or the, the you know, the, the specifics of it is more just getting the facts of the game, but not really honing in on style. So really when it comes to broadcasts and, and understanding the voices and personalities and interactions. I basically know John Rooney and Ed Farmer and Ed Farmer with Chris Singleton and then Darren Jackson. So that's basically my entire knowledge of White Sox broadcasts. And he, you know, the, like, like I was saying with Chris Ranji, one of the, the benefits or the, I guess the, the, one of the positive things you can get from a situation like this is that you can learn a lot about a guy who ordinarily you wouldn't know much about. You wouldn't, you know, just, based on either his personality or his role, um, you know, that he didn't really have a lot of people talking about him during seasons. You know, him as a person, you'd, you'd hear it from Darren Jackson and you'd hear it from, you know, a few stories from people around or uh, a fellow broadcaster on another feed sharing a story. But you wouldn't hear like these encompassing pictures of a man. And to me, it's a, it's a bit, you know, I'm thinking of the Hawk Harrelson farewell tour and you know Hawk's personality was huge, and and he was very aware of it, and and how he presented himself, and and some of the Hawk mystique, and you know so the stories were well known and very consistent. You know whether it was him telling it, whether it was somebody else, it was just very, uh, you know, it, it was well managed, I suppose. And with with Farmer, Farmer seemed to be who he was. Um, didn't try to be anybody else. And, you know, some people didn't like that or, or didn't quite get it. Uh, you know, they just heard this gruff monotone and just thought it was a guy who wasn't enjoying himself or didn't like Darren Jackson, but he was just himself and, and didn't paint himself as anything more or less. And he left it to other people to tell a story. And now, um, as these, uh, remembrances come out, we're seeing a, a fuller picture of a guy and, um, you know, speaking of Hawk, you know, the one of the things uh, that kind of turned the corner for me on, on Farmer and DJ, I thought they were kind of an awkward pairing and didn't always enjoy listening to them. But, you know, when Hawk and Stone went on for years and you get the sense that they had really no chemistry and were, were somewhat of an arranged marriage. Listen to 
Farmer and DJ enough, and you can tell that they genuinely liked each other. Maybe, you know, genuinely loved each other. You hear Darren Jackson talking today about Farmer. That's you know, he loved Farmer, and you know, that's uh, you know, it's uh, rare to find in a pairing. I think a lot of pairings they like each other, they get along, uh, professional, but they seem to be a big part of each other's lives, big part of each other's you know, traveling on the road, traveling together, being you know, sharing meals, uh, being very involved with each other's families, and just uh, you know, being very close and you could hear that it would take sometimes you'd have to listen to it for a while or 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 get past the needling and back and forth to understand uh just exactly what they were about but uh you listen to them enough and you realize these are two guys who really enjoyed each other and respected each other and uh once i realized that and once i understood the depth of it uh then i started realizing what it was more about and his flaws as a broadcaster you know even uh you know if he wasn't the perfect guy to do play-by-play and might have been better suited as an analyst. I got it. And uh, it, it, I think it rewarded the long-term listeners who stuck with him. And I think that's why a lot of uh, people who you know, either listen to the games on radio by choice or just by work or uh, by travel just got used to listening to them feel like they're going to be missing something whenever baseball returns. For me, and I'm glad that you mentioned as far as the flaws of the broadcast, because in the last few years... It was sometimes a struggle to understand what was going on in the game. It was You had to wait a long time just to know what the score was, and it was much faster to look up the score on your smartphone and, and see where the White Sox were if you were riding the train or driving the car and, and you tuned in. But the one thing I'm going to miss from the White Sox radio broadcast, and I'm glad that you mentioned the dynamic between DJ and Farmer, is that they were a bit of an odd couple. You know, they come from different generations of professional baseball, and they still found a way to have common stories about their experiences. And when they tapped into that experience and the quirkiness of being a Major League Baseball player and life on the road and going town to town and and getting paid a, a great deal of money to play baseball, that's when their broadcasts were the best. And that's what I'm going to miss when Ed Farmer is no longer calling games on the radio for the White Sox. That I'm not going to get these inside nuggets about Southside life uh, or life playing out in California in the minor leagues. I am going to miss that. What are you going to miss now that Ed Farmer is no longer going to be calling games for the White Sox on the radio? Well, like I was talking with Chris Ranji, um, I, I'm going to miss the disagreements they had and just how willing they were to disagree with each other. That was, was very bizarre. And it took my colleague who was just listening to them for the first time ever to unlock it for me was that they just um, they were not inclined to agree with each other if they didn't feel like doing so. They didn't try to soft pedal opinions. They didn't, uh, um, you know, uh, there weren't the classic setups of like, that was a fastball, right? No, that was a slider. That was, uh, what pitch was that? <laughs> was it high? No, it was low. Just you know, there was a lot of disagreements. Part of it might have been, you know, um, you know, depending on what kind of condition Farmer was in, uh, you know, with his health problems, maybe, you know, some some weeks were better than others and, and Jackson had to correct him. We don't quite know given, you know, what we've heard about his health issues and how hard he worked to stay on top of it and get past it and, and come to the ballpark every day. Uh, but just their, uh, just the way they disagreed with each other so often and so frequently, but not in a way that, um, 
you know, it seemed it, it seemed like they were maybe sniping at each other just because you don't hear that kind of disagreement very often. Uh, or if it is, it's, you know, delivered like with Stone and Benetti, where it's just delivered with a, um, you know, making fun of it, playing up a generational divide, a player, non-player divide, uh, you know, with a with a wink and, and maybe hamming it up a bit. <laughs> it was just very uh, honest uh, evaluations of what they were seeing. And if they didn't think they lined up, they didn't try to make it work. And uh, once one my colleague mentioned that, I listened to that and I, le- I listened to their broadcast, I realized that's completely unique about White Sox broadcasts. And uh, it, it felt rewarding to... Uh, understand that and and be with them and realize just uh, you know, logging the hours and and having it pay off and like oh this is what these guys are about and you know you listen to other broadcasts and maybe the White Sox bring in like Andy Mazur does a great job he, he's done a uh, he's been wonderful at filling in when he's had to fill in and you know if he if the White Sox go with him as the play by play voice it'll be a good call I've enjoyed his work a lot but it's you know it's uh, just you know he'll have to find his own identity with White Sox fans and they'll take a bit of time and uh but you know whatever identity it was it probably won't take the form of uh uh blunt disagreements with each other that make them sound like an old married couple <laughs> and I think I'll miss that yeah just go- listening through the old audio highlights you know some of my favorite Ed Farmer calls of course are his home run calls he does a great job I, I think nobody goes from zero to 60 in excitement mm-hmm. than Ed Farmer where it's just the monotone voice. It doesn't sound like he's really excited in the ninth inning. And then, bam, deep fly ball. And then he's, you know, super excited and and uh, really raises the, the heartbeat when you're listening to his call. Yeah. Uh, I will miss that. Is there a part of Ed Farmer's broadcasting style or do, is there an Ed Farmer story uh, that is one of your favorites over the times that you've gotten a chance to listen to his radio broadcasts? Well, the, uh, you know, like you mentioned, when he got excited, it was for a good reason. It took a lot to get him excited or get him, uh, you know, get the the voice elevated and and out of his natural uh, timber. So whenever that happened, you knew something good was going to happen. But I think, you know, when it comes to watching games, like his lasting effect for me will be blooping a blast. Just the uh, length he would go and the White Sox were down late of just making a comeback sound very simple. Like whether it's like Grand Slam ties it up, you know, and it's trying to come back down four against Mariano Rivera. <laughs> he, he just put it very blunt terms what the White Sox needed to do. And if they didn't do it, you'd feel like, oh, why didn't you just string together three singles yeah. and a homer? <laughs> but that's just, uh, you, know, that, uh, you know, we talked about Hawk and his language and just his, uh, uh, the way his vernacular, uh, he imposed his vernacular on White Sox fans and they pick it up and they're going to carry it to another tradition. I think that'll be, Farmer's contribution is, you know, light it up, hang a star. Uh, and just the, for me, the the various permutations of what it takes for the White Sox to tie or take the lead when it doesn't seem likely. Yeah, he will be missed. And as we've had in this episode, you know, from diehard White Sox fans, from people that have worked with Ed Farmer and the stories pouring in on as far as on Twitter, even White Sox fans that had the opportunity to roam on the 300 level of guarantee rate field, and stopped by the radio booth and were welcomed uh, to meet Ed Farmer and was treated like an immediate friend. Uh, the White Sox lost a legend today, and Ed Farmer passing away at the age of 70. And uh, all of us, uh, a lot of us, Jim, our age group, uh, we are going to be entering a new generation of White Sox play-by-play 
on the radio side. And uh, I'm with you. I, I think Andy Mazur would be a natural transition. He works really well with Darren Jackson. He He's a pro, especially when it comes to radio and with sports. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it is Andy Mazur taking over for Ed Farmer as the new White Sox play-by-play on the radio side. Uh, but when the White Sox do return, when baseball does return, uh, it will be... It'll be a sinking feeling. It won't be the same when Jason Benetti replaced Hawk Harrelson for the first couple of broadcasts, Jim, because we mm-hmm. knew that Hawk was going to eventually retire and Hawk was going to leave. This is a bit heartbreaking to know that Ed Farmer did not get a chance to have that type of retirement and being able to walk away and allowing everyone that he has touched in their lives, working with them in the baseball media and the carousel to be able to have that same opportunity and to have his swan song. That that's where for me, it's a bit heartbreaking that no matter what you think of Ed Farmer's broadcasting style, he did deserve to have that type of swan song. Yeah. And, and it seemed like the White Sox are trying to finesse the transition to whether it's Mazer or, or somebody else just because of the health demands. And he missed more games than usual last year and missed the last week of the season and then had to cut spring training short before the league cut spring training even shorter. And it, it seemed like, you know, kind of like the Benetti plan, uh, the, the, the Hawk transition where they, they try to ease it into it and, and allow Farmer to go out on something like his own terms while balancing his health and then ultimately give him a, 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 a long fond farewell and it just didn't happen i guess you know maybe one of the uh few benefits of the uh, baseball season being canceled right now is that you know we can spend this time learning more about him talking more about him because there isn't another set of games on the calendar that just you know have to be talked about and have to be written about and replace the uh white Sox news this is really the only white Sox news and it's big news and uh he was a big uh, a big figure, a big personality, and you know we'll have at least the time. And the White Sox will have the time to give it all the the attention it deserves. Yes, and he will be remembered. And again, that first radio broadcast for the White Sox uh, is going to be a bit heartbreaking as they make the transition. But I am sure that they will. This has been a long storied franchise, and Ed Farmer is one of the White Sox broadcasting legends. And unfortunately, at the age of seventy has passed away, and when baseball does return, it would be great if the White Sox can win one for Ed Farmer. And every time we hear a home run, along with you can put it up on the board and we see the fireworks go off at Guaranteed Rate Field or any future White Sox stadium, I think a lot of us will remember, light them up, uh, for the great classic home run call by Ed Farmer, who treated everyone as a friend and made White Sox radio broadcasts really special over his 29 seasons calling games. That will do it for this Sox Machine podcast as we remember Ed Farmer and his legendary career with the Chicago White Sox. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, audioboom.com slash Sox Machine and Stitcher Radio. The Sox Machine podcast will come back as a bi-weekly show until baseball does return. We also have our game show, Nine Innings, which is released with a new episode every Friday that you can tune in. And, of course, you can catch up on all White Sox news on our new redesigned webpage at SoxMachine.com and follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine. This special edition of the Sox Machine podcast is a production 
of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.